Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. This is our good news segment. I know you are going to be so excited to hear about this one. Have you ever figured out like, wait a minute, you're going out for dinner and there you are, or you're having friends over and all of a sudden you're making this fabulous, fabulous meal and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And what you're doing is you're serving fish and then you get down to your partner, your spouse, your loved one coming home from the grocery store or some liquor store and bringing a bottle of wine that you're looking at saying, what is that? Well, Brian Phillips is here to help us out this summer with what are we going to learn? What can we do so that doesn't happen to you as we demystify the art of wine pairing? Brian, you are an expert in this field. And I mean, that story I just shared with you, that's for real. I have gone through that <laughs> myself, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I've been there. Oh, <laughs> right. So right. I think step number one is just, just getting a bag full of wine. That way you have lots of options. That always helps. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, what wine to get with the food? You know, that's always a challenging one. And it makes a lot of people nervous for good reason, because there are thousands of options out there. And how does it work? And you know, especially if you're on point to uh, pick that for other people, make sure they have a good experience is always challenging. So I think, you know, there's a lot of rules there. Yeah. Um, I think you can maybe simplify it quite a bit and take a lot of those rules and set them aside. And just number one, make sure you have good food and good wine and good people around and that helps. Uh, but think about the weight of the wine with the weight of the food. Um, you know, I always think about, well, hey, we're going to have seafood. So make sure we get some crisp, lean white wines that are going to be nice and refreshing and zippy to go with that seafood and not overpower it, but, you know, compare with it. And then maybe when we're doing steaks off the grill, it is summer. That's you know, yeah. what a lot of people are doing. You need something a little bit bolder, like a, like a Cabernet Merlot or Zinfandel. And then if you're not sure, because you're going to be doing a bunch of different stuff, or maybe it's a bring your own food to you know, potluck type event, uh, you know, rosé, which is a huge trend right now that we see skyrocketing. Rosé is very diverse, flexible, drinks well on its own, but can go with a lot of different foods, uh, seafood, salads, so forth, and then Pinot Noir. I think that when in doubt and, uh, you know, you need a red wine on the table, Pinot Noir works with steaks, you know, some of those lighter steaks like filet mignon, but it won't overpower seafood. It's a very soft, elegant, uh, you know, uh, kind of silky textured style mm -hmm. of red wine. So that's one of my favorite go-tos as well. I got to ask you this question. But before I do, I like to do this a couple of times. I want to make sure we tell folks listening where they can go to find out more. So let's start with that. Because if we don't mention this a couple of times, I'll get like 100 emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think that you have to experience wine firsthand. So that kind of leads into the Generous Pour Summer Wine Event, where we are featuring seven wines 
the service uh, team there at the Capitol Grill, you know, they know these wines very well, very intimately. They've had them all. They, they've gotten to the story behind each one of them. And no matter what you order off that menu, they're going to create a personalized wine dinner experience. And so you're going to learn how they pair. You're going to find some, some wines that you really like and maybe uh, discover some new varietals and regions. And uh, you'll have a bigger story about the producer of this wine, too. So this year we're featuring the wines of Dan Duckhorn, who's one of the original uh, founding pioneers within Napa Valley, one of the first 40 wineries constructed there. And he's moved into other regions and other varietals, so there's a lot of diversity here to play with. And uh, they'll make sure that you get to try each one, and you can always go back to the ones you like the most. And I think that there's kind of a takeaway at the end of the day. We're like, wow, now I get a little bit more about how wine works with food. You know, there's comparative and contrasting pairings and, and how they work and why does red wine work with steak so well. And, you know, you have to drink the wine and eat the food to mm-hmm. really fully grasp that. And so that's kind of a low-risk opportunity. You get to come in for $28 and drink as many of these wines as you would like. Yeah. Uh, you know, y- your passion for wine is like my passion for positive talk. You know, we've got two of us here <laughs> that probably folks are, are thinking – Wow, those two have got the best jobs on the planet. What, what is it about this particular arena for you has touched your, your heart? What is it about what you do? You're, you know, you're a leading expert here. You know, what is it about your role that so excites you every day? Well, I think the more you learn, the more you don't know. So <laughs> I'm sitting in the Master Sommelier exam in a few weeks, which is the highest level. There's only uh, a little over 200 Master Sommeliers in the world. And uh, as I study every day, as I do, it's, I find that's the journey, it's the path that's the most enjoyable part because you're always learning and there's really no end to it. You can't really truly master it all. And when you consume wine, it's unlike any other product you'll ever consume. It's not like beer, no. even food. You know, there's certain foods that may be like cheese and oysters that represent place. But wine really represents all these things combined, the people that made it, the soil it came from, what the weather was like that year, a lot of cultural influences. And you get to taste that, and it transports you there. So drinking a glass of wine is kind of like taking a small vacation. If you really pay attention to it and listen to it, it can take you somewhere and go, ah, and something clicks, and you're like, wow. I need more of that. And then you just go down the rabbit hole and it never ends. Okay. I have a question that, that it has, has, it came to me in preparation for this show. Here's the question. And maybe you can shed some light on this right now, at least where I live, what seems to be trending is anything with the word Moscato in front of it. And I thought about this coming from an Italian. My grandfather used to be down the basement making the wine. You know what I'm saying right there? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. So uh, but where is it that folks can get clarity around this? Because you're right about rosé. I mean, this Moscato rosé that it's just they cannot keep the shelves in the store filled. What is it about that? You know, I think that people really want light-bodied, easy-drinking, approachable wines that don't necessarily have to be with food, but they can drink on their own. And the thing about Moscatos is there's a little bit of residual sugar on it, so that means the wine hasn't fully fermented in many of the cases with Moscato, and so therefore there's lower alcohol. So they're more approachable, easier drinking, they're fresh, they're fruit-forward, and they're approachable. You don't have to think as much about Moscato 
uh, as you do maybe, say, a Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon, a much more complex varietal in mm-hmm. wine. And at the end of the day, some people don't want to think they just want a good, tasty beverage. And those wines really fill that niche. And so that's supplanting maybe those beer mm-hmm. options, you know, that were kind of the go-to easy end of the day. Quaffers, uh, mm-hmm. the Moscatos, Rosés really fit that niche. And, you know, with Rosé, they've gotten much more serious, though, as of late. Uh, you know, the first Rosés I was experienced to were white Zinfandels, uh, you know, which were sweet. And now there's the dry Rosés from Provence and so forth. Mm-hmm. We're featuring a Rosé for the first time in this year's generous pour made from Pinot Noir. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's really interesting to see that. But as long as people are drinking wine, I'm happy. Yeah. And, you know, you brought something up, and I know our, our time here is short, but I want to get back to it. I think what's surprising so many people is that the millennials and the baby boomers, I mean, let's just talk about it for a minute. Uh, you know, we're starting to see the rise in people that go out and order wine as opposed to beer. As a matter of fact, my buddy owns a brewery. Well, everybody in the Pacific Northwest owns a brewery (laughs) here, you know. But what they're saying is they've had to get super sexy about their beer to get people to even pick beer over wine. Why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, it's because wine is taking off. And the thing about beer is, you know, I love beer. I, I enjoy mm-hmm. it very much. But at the end of the day, it's a product that can be recreated anywhere. So mm. let's say I go to Belgium and I like a triple Belgium there. I can go and do that Trappist ale at home if I follow the recipe. And that's an interesting thing. You can't do that with wine. Wine really has a sense of place. You can't necessarily recreate it. At least at this time, the technology doesn't exist. Right. But, um, you know, that's the interesting thing. It's a transportive uh, product that um, has to represent place or else it technically, to me, doesn't come across as what it should. And, you know, beers have to keep up with that. It's a flooded market with so many different options. Mm-hmm. And so you see beer makers aging their beers in barrels. They're using a lot of um, strains of yeast, such as uh, Brett or yeah. Bruxelensis is what it's referred to, to mm-hmm. add wine, Venice-type characters to beer to compete with wine. So, you know, it's a very complex thing. Beer, I think, is more complex than wine. Wine is grapes. They're picked. They're fermented. They're aged, potentially, in different formats, and then you drink them. That's really wine. It's Mm -hmm. really simple. The less you do, the better, uh, because you're letting that place shine. With beer, you have to be a little bit more hands-on and really guide it and go for a specific style. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to see. It's all fun, uh, but at the end of the day, I think that wine just tells that deeper story of of place that goes beyond the person or beyond a recipe. Yeah, I was looking at the rise in in wine consumption. I mean, most people look at the rise in something and they look at a couple million. We're actually looking at an enormous population that has grown, right? And I think I saw a number like 62 billion. I can't remember exactly. But this is uh, an industry that people who drink wine take very seriously. You know, they really yeah. want to know, how do I pair this up? It really has become a thing, if I might call it that. It really has. And some of the people that are going for, like, for instance, I'm going through the process of sitting in the master sommelier exam in yeah. a couple weeks, Yeah, is there's people that aren't in the business that are achieving sommelier certifications because they just want to know more. And the more you learn, the more you enjoy wine. Uh, and I think it's a cultural thing. I think wine and food, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's seen as healthier as mm-hmm. well. It seems it's more balanced and, you know, just an everyday kind of thing. So I think it's just a, sh- a social shift. Mm-hmm. We're actually becoming 
a little bit more European in that sense yeah. than the Europeans are because they're leaning more towards alcohol and beer. Yeah. Than we are at a faster rate. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see. All right. I got to ask you this question and then and then I'll let you go. I, I, I've got to ask you the question of uh, don'ts. And the reason I want to ask you that is because there are a lot of folks out here that are going to be able to find out more, of course, from you and by going to the capitalgrill.com. But I got to ask you don'ts. What is your top three of, you know what, when push comes to shove, just don't do these three pairings? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that a lot of people go to their what they're comfortable with. And I think that one of the dotes is um, n- not being willing to listen to mm. the suggestions of the service team that's there to oh. understand why and make those suggestions. And, uh, and I think that you can be a little more open-minded. And um, I think that maybe giving that server some details and, you know, we ask our service team members to first and foremost always listen mm. and, then, and then make those decisions as to what to suggest because – uh, you you want to kind of figure out the direction they're going, and you just don't want to ruin a meal. And I think that there are a lot of rules to pairing, but I do think that if you get something like oysters mm-hmm. and you drink Cabernet with that, that's not going to really taste very good, right? right? So, you know, I think just going back to those basic rules of saying, you know what, these two coming together makes it a, a better uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And so you ultimately want to make sure that it elevates the experience. And so, you know, I think listening to the servers and I think any qualified service uh, team member, especially at the Capitol Grill, is going to know, hey, they're having oysters. We need to suggest something like this. And we have like a great Sauvignon Blanc, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, in the line at the Duckhorn Vineyard Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're suggesting with the oysters and all the shellfish to, to kick off the dinner. Yeah, like uh, my friend's husband brought home Chianti for the seafood. And I said, honey, you better be making Chapino. Uh, (laughs) for that something like that Um, thank you so much for today thank you for time one last question what's your personal message uh, Brian what do you want to leave us with then yet much success to you on the upcoming test yeah thank you so much Uh, you know I think that always learning being open-minded it doesn't doesn't mean you have to like be serious about Mm -hmm. wine but I think being open-minded to trying different things and listening to others and, and finding what you like on your own path. I think that the only way you can really say, this is what I'm about, this is what I'm into, is self-discovery and knowing that you made those decisions and went down that path on your own. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, you're up in Seattle, you have so many great options just mm-hmm. over the Cascades there. And we're actually featuring a wine, one of my favorite wines in life this year's Canvasback uh, Cabernet Sauvignon mm. from Red Mountain. And it wasn't until I tasted this with a bunch of other Cabernets from Napa Valley that are very expensive that I said, whoa, this, this Red Mountain uh, Cabernet Sauvignon is one of the better Cabernets I've tasted in a long time. And they're really great values. And I think in the end, people want to find really good wines for good value. And man, you're right in that state for that with mm-hmm. Washington. I mean, there's so many good options there. So yeah, get out there and try the yeah. wines, have fun. Get, yeah. get to know the people behind them too. That's yeah. the bigger part. Yeah, you're right yeah. about it. Washington State, it's kind of like Washington State all of a sudden wasn't there and then there they are. Uh, you are. know, but having yeah. gone to school in California, I can tell you this, that California is still the number one wine producing state and people there as well have done a phenomenal job perfecting this. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Great to, great to be on. Cheers. Have a great summer. Yeah. Cheers, everybody. Short break. We'll be right back. 
Living Lighter Radio with Jason and Patricia. We have an ecosystem approach to your life. Tune in weekly every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio as we, Jason and Patricia, discuss what's truly holding you back. We offer you the tools you need to reach your goals and at the same time be living lighter. For more information about Living Lighter, visit www.livinglighter.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our special news segment. You know, many of you have heard us talking about uh, what is going on, not just in our workplace and our schools, but do you ever wonder what we are here to do to protect ourselves, to learn how to keep our employees safe, keep employees informed? And is, is the company, is your company prepared in the event of an active shooter? And more importantly, do you know the questions to ask your company? Yeah, I know. In in light of, and I, I used to say in light of the recent shootings, but it's more like a way of life now. What is it that we should know? What are we doing to understand and take action to protect our employees, protect ourselves? Jason Bryant, 20, 20 year law enforcement veteran, major Metro Police Department is here joining us today because there are some things that we should know and there are some things that we should do. Jason, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, you know, I, it used to be, we used to say, oh, okay, you know, once a year, twice a year, maybe we're talking about what's going on, shootings. But this is now becoming a way of life. And it is so important that we know the questions to ask, how to ask them. But more importantly, we just don't know what we don't know. So today, I want to know from you, you know, given the world we're living in now, what are the most important bits of information that we should be aware of today? I think every organization, be it a church, a school, or a business, should have a plan in place for an active shooter. And you think about it, we have plans in place for inclement weather. We have plans for fires. Uh, these are rare events, but they're high-impact events, and we should have a plan in place for active shooters as well. Mm-hmm. So most people don't know what we mean when we say active shooter. Um, let's just talk a little bit about what that means. But often, you know, we just think it's going to happen to somebody else, some other place. I grew up in New York, so you know, there's an environment in New York City where you're used to certain things, but that's not the state of affairs. No one is really exempt from this, are they? They're not, and they've happened in all types of businesses, schools and churches. There's no one location that is specifically targeted, and there's no one location that is, that's exempt from being targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, People have a sense that, you know, by the time we know about an active shooting, um, there's a large period of time that uh, uh, between when police are going to show up or when we can actually do something. But that's not necessarily what we're talking about. You know, what is how long does it really take for law enforcement to respond So the national average for uh, response to an active shooter event is three minutes. Mm -hmm. So having a plan in place and what you do in those three minutes absolutely matters. Those 180 seconds absolutely matter. 
once law enforcement arrives, the shooter traditionally will change their attention away from their would-be victims towards law enforcement. I mean, mm-hmm. either engage in a shootout with law enforcement or quite often they just end up killing themselves. So having a plan in place and implementing that plan in the first three minutes absolutely matters. It also matters that what you do in the weeks and the months and the years preceding an attack and preparing yourself for that, that moment. So uh, there are things that people think they are not in control of that they cannot do. And you're here today to say, wait a minute, you know, there are things we can do. As a matter of fact, you're talking about avoid, deny, defend, or maybe what that means. But most importantly, we don't we have to shift our mindset from we really can't do anything to prevent these to a different one? Um, absolutely shift the mindset from away from that victimology sort of uh, mindset. Um, we can't stop attacks. We, you know, we don't know who's going to launch the next attack and when or for what reason. But we can absolutely do things to make our location more difficult to attack and to increase our chances of survival. Um, the plan that we advocate is, you know, step one is evade, get away from the shooter by any means necessary. The, the further away you are, the safer you're going to be. In Virginia Tech, the kids on the second story jumped out of the windows 19 feet to the ground, mm-hmm. and every single one of the kids that jumped survived. So mm-hmm. they did what they needed to do to, to get away. So they did have control of their destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, sheltering in place is the second step. Get behind a commercial-grade locked door. By commercial-grade, I mean steel-framed, solid-wood core commercial lock. Get behind a door like that and lock yourself in and then barricade that door to everything else that's left in the room, be it desks, chairs, computers, files, it doesn't matter. That puts you in a very safe place. And lastly, if you're in the space that's attacked, then you you must be committed to counterattack. And you should swear a pact with all of your office mates, everybody you spend your day with. If we're ever attacked, we're all fighting back. And there's safety in that. There's power in that. Um, There's no reason a gunman should be able to go into a room with 20, 30, or 40 people and hold them at bay. If Mm -hmm. they all counterattacked at once, they could very easily overwhelm that gunman. And a good example of that is the train in France when the American servicemen rushed the gunman who was on the train car. And they were able to grab the gun and pull it to the ground. And at that point, when they were fighting over the gun, everybody else jumped in the fight and were able to subdue that, that attacker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing up a really good point. The other thing I also want to mention is, you know, my career before doing what I do today was in human resources. And I will tell you this that the threat in the workplace from when I was in HR, and I don't think it's changed, was so much greater than we're talking about. We're talking about schools these days because it is just absolutely horrific to watch. But workplace shootings, that has been something that has been going on for a while. And we're not talking about the workplace. So therefore, you know, uh, Jason, let me ask you, I don't think we're doing enough in the workplace. Well, I would agree that that we're not doing enough, but that's part of what we're doing here today to, to solve that problem. About 46% of these active shooter events in America are in places of business, and only 24% in comparison are in in schools. So it's almost twice as likely for a business to be attacked than for a school. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, look, you're in law enforcement. You're somebody out there. You train and you educate hundreds of businesses. First of all, I want to make sure everybody knows how they can find out more. Um, What is the best way for people to find out more about what they can do to protect their employees? So the first thing they can do is go to activeshooterassessment.com. 
And when they get there, there's a 10 question questionnaire that they can fill out and that lets them know where they are on the readiness scale. And it would also identify any gaps or holes in their plan. And then we have the content on there to fill in those gaps and holes to help them implement a plan to help teach them how to evade and shelter in place or fight back. Um, we have a webinar, we have an ebook, and we uh, also have links to software to where larger companies can reach out to all of their employees simultaneously and have simultaneous communication, which helps. You know, I got to ask you a question because, um, you know, part of what I do too is I cover a lot of these stories. But there is a policy in some workplaces that I absolutely don't agree with. Maybe I'm a little crazy. And that is the one where you have a no cell phone policy in the workplace. And let me tell you what I mean by that is while your employees can bring their cell phones in, they have to turn them off. And I got to tell you, I'm not even sure that that is a relevant policy these days because a large part of the time when people are calling, they're not calling from like a landline. You know what I'm saying? What do you think about that policy that workplaces are putting in to sort of manage their employees on their phones? Uh, Actually, that's the first time I've ever heard of that. And, you know, I think anytime you can increase communication ability, that's going to be a good thing. Um, And we, you know, when I'm teaching this plan to individual businesses and schools, one of the points I tell them is call 911 with all yep. of the relevant information you have. And uh, so having your cell phone there readily accessible yep. seems like they would help that. Yeah, I mean, it is a, a very, very uh, fast-growing policy, by the way, uh, Jason. It's one that concerns me quite a bit. Well, I understand why, why organizations are doing that. I think they got to get a little bit more creative. Um, let's talk about what do people do in the in the, the average of three minutes before law enforcement comes. You know, you named a couple of things. Clearly dial in 911, but I want to ask you this question. What should people be aware of to say to 911? Because you know, in the middle of a crisis like this, your head's not clear. What are your tips to say to 911? That's an outstanding question. Um, the things that we need the fastest are a description of the shooter. So saying the shooter is a white guy is good. Saying he's a white guy who's six feet tall, bald headed, around 215 pounds, I just described myself. Um, that's better because that allows responding officers to to see the, the or to find the shooter even quicker. Also, the location of the shooter is good. He's in my building is good, but all police officers navigate by uh, compass points. So if you know your compass points, saying he's by the north door or he's mm-hmm. in the east wing or he's in the second floor of the south you know, annex, that helps police officers find it even faster. And if you can name the actual name of the room he's in, like he's in, he's in the, the, the California room, and then right. officers responding will start asking, where's the California room, where's the California room? And then also um, locations of victims. We wanna know where people are who've been shot so we can get to them as quickly as possible mm-hmm. with rescue personnel so that we can save those lives. I got to ask you this question, you know, with the shooting that happened recently at, you know, uh, the the latest one of the news n- news organization, do you think companies are going to take this seriously enough to say, we need to get some training, we need to get prepared, we need to handle this the way we handle fire drills? Absolutely. I, I think so. I think we're training that way. 
Um, we're teaching more and more companies and more and more uh, uh, organizations, uh, you know, not just companies, but churches and schools are looking for um, resources, are looking for the training. And we have it all available. All you have to do is, is, is come to our, our website and uh, the content is all free of charge. Uh, they can come and get this training. Why don't you give out that website again? And then I have one last question for you. And thank you for what you're doing. I think this is this is so important. And I have to tell you, I think the situation with this in the workplace is far worse than we even imagined. We are just not prepared. Um, what's the bit again? What's the website? It's ActiveShooterAssessment.com. Great. Last question. What's your personal message, uh, JS, with today? I think I want people to understand that they're empowered, that this isn't something that's outside of their scope of control. By putting a plan in place, they, they prevent themselves from being targeted. Because every one of these events, there's, there's a planning period where they're looking at target analysis and they're looking for the softest target. So by you and your organization having a plan, you're not as soft a target as you were before. And also, if you ever find yourself in this situation, to understand that you can counterattack, you can fight back, and you can survive these events. I thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you for this. And for those of you out there, here's what I want to say. If you're not even sure what your company is doing, big, small, teeny, it doesn't matter the size, please go to HR, ask the question, give them this website. Thank you so much, Jason. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. If you're one of the millions of Americans suffering from anxiety, you probably know how powerless and out of control this emotion can make you feel. This is why it is so important to remember that anxiety is created by your mind, which means that you can learn to use your mind to uncreate it. Hello, my name is Dr. Friedman Schaub. My award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, provides you with a step-by-step breakthrough process to understand and resolve the root causes of your anxiety and build a solid foundation of confidence and inner peace. If you're ready to take your power back, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. That's thefearandanxietysolution.com or call 866-903-6463. That's 866-903-MIND. Hey, everybody. Well, listen, welcome to our good news segment. Here's really the good news about our good news segment. You folks have heard me talk about this for like uh, years. So one of the things that I want to say about this, our upcoming segment, is that this is where the new study finds that including lean beef in a Mediterranean-style diet supports heart health. How do I know that? I am Italian, and I cannot tell you that uh, maybe I can count on one hand where uh, beef was not in the food, uh, and then when it wasn't, it was fish. But that's not up to me today. Today, we have got Dr. Shaley McNeil joining us here today, Executive Director of Nutrition Research at the NCBA, which you're going to find out what that is. Um, And what are we here to talk about? What is it that's causing us so many problems right now in our diet? And if you don't think that we have problems in our diet, just Google the obesity rate and the autoimmune disease rate for the moment. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. McNeil, for joining us here today. It's a big, big uh, topic and a big conversation. 
Oh, it's great to be here. And you're right. Uh, so many people are interested in healthier eating and there's a lot going on in this area. So it's great. Lots of stuff to talk about. Okay. So first off, I went down the pathway like many of us went down. I went down the pathway of microbiotic eating. Okay. Don't eat any meat. Okay. Okay. So gained like 40 pounds right out of the gate and didn't feel well. Now we have science. Now we have evidence. So here's my question for you. Fast forward to where we are today. What the heck have we learned and what do we need to change in our thinking? Well, the science on uh, beef is changing, and we're seeing recommenda recommendations by health professionals and nutrition experts changing, too. More and more health professionals are beginning to recognize the value that beef plays, not only as its high-quality protein, but the nutrients like iron and zinc and B vitamins that really nourish us. And there's more and more research that says hey, including some beef into your diet can really make a diet healthier because of that great nutrition and that protein and those nutrients. So I think we're seeing a lot of good news out on beef, a lot of things changing when it comes to nutrition. Well, I want to ask you this question because I'm, I'm always fascinated about people like you and me that say yes to a purpose and a passion in life. I, I, I'm always fascinated. I wish I could say I had a big strategy plan for this. I actually dialed the wrong number 15 years ago and then I got sick. <laughs> yeah. So imagine me going on my way, coming down with a mystery disease in 04, the entire show changed because I wanted to heal myself. Let me ask you this. What is it that we don't know about what we don't know about reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease these days? I know, big question, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, I think that we have to acknowledge that we're always learning. And if we look from what we learned 30 years ago, the science has changed. I mean, we used to say you had to limit your red meat intake, and now research is showing that that's absolutely not true for heart health. In fact, this new research out of Purdue University was asking one of those tough questions. You know, you said you were Italian and you knew that you were incorporating beef. But the way that we've translated um, the Mediterranean diet today, a lot of times you hear that it needs to be low in red meat in order to get those health benefits of the Mediterranean diet. And so the Purdue researchers wanted to check that out and test that out. And what they showed is, is that you can have a Mediterranean diet with five to six ounces of red meat and lower your blood pressure and lower your cholesterol. If you think about it, it makes sense because mm -hmm. people in Mediterranean countries, they're actually, as you said, you know, they're including beef. They're just eating maybe a little bit of a different total diet with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say something for our listeners here because I've done a lot of different shows. And one of the things I want to say, this conversation for all of you listening has nothing to do with the social concerns you might have about this because we've already taken care of that. You can go get yourself some beef from a lot of places. What we're talking about here is what we've learned going back to primitive time when man and woman were walking around, running around, chasing around. And what did they eat? Why did they eat it? The other thing I want to ask you about is the research also now shows that, listen, when you're eating this, right, there is a high chance that your weight maintenance situation will be a lot better. Can you comment on that? You know, I think that's a really good point. If you look at meat eating, we've gone back two and a half 
million years to meat eating because uh, the human population has thrived on meat. The nutrients, the protein, the iron, and the zinc, these are all really important for growth and development, especially healthy brain development, protecting our muscles as we age. So there's a nutrition reason um, why beef really supports good health. And I think that's that's really key to this, too, is the value that meat mm-hmm. provides, you know, to your good nutrition. But it's also great tasting, too. So in today's times, it's nice to eat foods that are good for your health that taste great, too. Mm-hmm. I want to give out the website because for those I of you that... Yeah, that are texting. I want to just say there's a lot on the website we're about to give you. Everything about, oh, my favorite recipes. Actually, I'm going to submit a little recipe. Recipes, cooking, cuts, nutrition, raising beef, and you'll get to, that's that's going to be a question you have. So the, the best website, uh, could you please tell us what the best website is? I want to make sure I get it right. Sure. Beefitswhatsfordinner.com is a great Perfect. go-to resource for all things beef. You know, one of the hardest things about eating healthy is coming up with recipes and ideas of what to make. And so at beefitswhatsfordinner.com, mm-hmm. you're going to see great nutritious recipes that have been trust- tested by chefs that made easy at home too to taste delicious. I want to ask you this question because let's, let's get to it. And I know we've got a few minutes left. I, want, I would love to hear from you now what the overall health benefits of red meat are. Now, clearly I work with my naturopath and you know, all of the above, and we're, we've gotten very clear about this, but the general population has been given a lot of information that we're now finding is not true. Can you give us an update? Well, the health benefits of beef really um, span across the lifespan. I'm raising a family right now. I've got two teenage girls, my husband. All of us at our different life stages need the nutrients that beef has. So the high-quality protein, that's a big one. More and more research is coming out to show we need protein throughout the day. We need to focus yeah. on high-quality protein sources. Beef is, beef is that protein. When I think about myself or my teenage girls, they need that iron that beef has. You know, iron beef has one of the best sources of iron out there. Zinc and B vitamins and choline are so important in women that are thinking about becoming pregnant. So all of these nutrients are in one food package that people just love. It tastes delicious. So I think that's where a beef is making a comeback and recognizing that mm-hmm. in today's world, it's hard to find a lot of food that has a lot of nutrition in it. So um, beef is one of those foods that we really enjoy eating that's packed with great nutrition. I want to get down to some of the study, the research, because I'm a researcher. I actually, you know, love research. I love doing it. And I love that we get information because we have some information now which really debunks what we thought about beef, Right. Um, one of the things I looked at Absolutely. was, yeah, let's talk about some of the numbers. Well, they're, they're numbers. Yeah. Like if you, if you eat seven, 18 ounces of this, this is what the study showed. Yeah. You know, I love research too. Um, yeah. And, and I think that we have to have good quality research to inform our nutrition advice. And this study is what we call a randomized control trial. So it's one of the gold standard type of research that really gets at understanding what kind of beef, how much beef can we have in a heart-healthy Mediterranean-style diet? And what this research showed is that you can have 7 to 18 ounces per week. That's about five to six servings. That's about the amount of red meat that people are eating. 
um, in a week in the U.S. today. These, again, this was cuts of beef that you can find in the supermarket, lean cuts of beef, conventionally raised beef. And what we found is, is that including these five to six servings per week lowered blood pressure, improved cholesterol in a gold standard clinical trial. So we can be really confident that not only this study, but other studies like it have also shown the same thing. We see consistency in the research too. Beef can support a heart healthy diet. There's really no question about that. Um, you know, this is where we all get to be educated and certainly people will come and look at the website and they will get a sense of this for themselves. But you all have provided quite a bit of information here. Um, what would you say in your opinion is the, the top of your list bit of information that we've been looking at over the past 10, 20 years, right, about beef that is no longer true? What would you say if you had to pick it right out of there, coming to the table, you looked at and said, oh, that? <laughs> this helps explain it. You know, I think that when we look at some of the advice in the past to limit red meat, what we realize is the, these were looking at studies where beef was part of an unhealthy diet and lifestyle. And what we know now is that if you look at beef in a healthy diet, which is what most people are striving to do, you see that it has great benefits because of the nutritional package, the iron, the protein, the zinc, you know, the nutrition, the nutrients that beef provides really aren't argued with. So put it in a healthy diet and you've got a delicious, great tasting way to eat, to eat and live healthfully. And I think that's the new news about beef. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was shocked by, and I wonder if you could comment it, and I know we've got a minute or so left. Again, beef, it's what's for dinner.com. Um, I want to make sure everybody has that. I never thought, like in my lifetime um, here, Dr. McNeil, that we would hear red meat and heart healthy in the same sentence. I think that's the big aha that I'm really struck by in the moment. Well, not absolutely. Not only has beef gotten leaner over time, about half mm -hmm. of the fat is the same fat found in olive oil, heart-healthy fat. So definitely mm -hmm. lots of good research to say beef and heart health go together. Yeah. And the other thing I want to say is, listen, there's a lot of information out there about where people can find out from wherever you're getting your beef from. I happen to live in Western Washington, and we've got some incredible places to get beef, all sorts of, of beef. Um, and so thank oh, you for bringing this. Farms and ranches there. Oh my God. Don't you think everybody yeah, talks about farms. Texas, <laughs> but I, I want to well, say I was this. raised in Texas, but yeah. I, agree. Uh -oh. yeah, I agree. Washington has uh -oh. some great farms and ranches. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, you know, part of that, we don't even think about, right. Dr. McNeil, it's like, what, well, what goes on in tech in Washington? It's green a lot. What are the, what do the cows eat? Well, what do you think? Right. Um, but listen, Thank you for this message. I mean, clearly for me, this is one of the toughest conversations to have because there has been so much said against beef. Um, and now we have such levels of obesity in this country. We have got to stop putting in, you know, these large amounts of carbs. And thank you for doing this. And again, we're not say, saying go sit down to a 24 ounce steak although I've been known to do that. Thank you, Dr. McNeil. Last question. What's your personal message? Oh, thanks for having. Yes, we appreciate it. Thanks for having us. All right. Any last minute personal message you want to leave everybody with? 
Oh, I just would love to say that thank you for having us, but it really, the good news about beef, it will really help people build healthier diets, and, and I think that's just great for people that are trying every day to eat healthier. The nutrients and the protein of beef can really support healthy living. I love it. Dr. Shailene McNeil, doing her rounds, getting out there, getting us educated, getting us informed, and yes, this is a good news segment. We'll be right back. Tune in to People Like Us Radio with Megan Lyons, transcending the trauma of the human experience. Megan will be raising the universal consciousness by empowering listeners with their own inner strength, working past trauma and abuse. Megan will show you how to find true healing and inner peace through the art and practice of self-love. Tune in every first and third Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For more information about Megan and her work, visit EnterTheLightLLC.com. What is a brilliant culture and how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you align your culture with your business strategy for exceptional results. Looking for a culture that drives organizational excellence? Listen to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the second and fourth Friday of each month at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit culturalbrilliance.com. Would you like your next chapter to be free from fear and angst? Tune in to Your Next Chapter Radio, navigating through life's transitions with Shelly Ryan the fourth Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Shelly's contagious enthusiasm guides you through life's transitions deliberately, mindfully, and funnily. For Your Next Chapter Coaching or to listen, visit YourNextChapterCoaching.com or call 602-617-8351. Next! everybody. Yeah. You guys have heard me talk about this. How many times I grew up in New York city. I know firsthand what bullying is about and only change today is that bullying now is taken so many different forms that this is at an epidemic level. It is. We're just not talking about it, except if you're Greta Monaghan. Greta, thank you for joining us here today. Thanks so much. Okay. Listen, uh, you know, I'm one of these people, I know what bullying is firsthand. I also know what cyberbullying is, being a host of a show and the owner of a network. How out of control has this gotten? Oh, you're exactly right. It is worse than ever, Pat. Even though we know that we have all experienced this or, or at least witnessed it in our childhoods, you know, with the fact that our kids are online at the level they are, both socially and for Schoolwork, it's changed everything, and it's really raised the concern to an all-time high level. Mm. Let's talk about your effort right up front. You know, you are on a mission, and I love that you are. I love you're getting out there because, you know, I got to tell you something. You and me sitting on our couch, that it just ain't going to cut it in the world we live in today. Um, so- <laughs> what got you off the couch? 
Greta, what well, I'll tell you, you just out. like you. No, I love you for saying it because it's so true. First of all, like you, I know it firsthand. When I was a kid, I think, you know, I had an experience with bullying, and I was actually a lot younger than I think most parents assume it happens. It was right around my eldest son's age where, you know, I started to encounter it around seven or eight. And I think, like, you know, for me, going back in time and thinking about it, I we didn't no one talked about it, Dr. Pat. So I didn't know how to recognize it. So it ended up building and escalating and really being something that absolutely impacted my enjoyment of school, my social activities. You know, I started limiting a lot of it and it really started to affect me. So that's my personal. Now what got me off the couch, of course, is that I have two boys. And as a parent, I absolutely positively would do anything that I could to really educate them, empower them, and to turn these statistics around for them and for our communities. So to me, that that is the most important reason we're here. And as a mom, I'm thrilled that Pilot Pen mm-hmm. has partnered up with Stomp Out Bullying. I, you know, they're the American, they're the leading American organization in the prevention of bullying and cyberbullying. So this is really incredible. It is incredible. And honestly, partnering up is the way we got to go here. Um, And hopefully, uh, you know, you'll be able to give us information on how to get this done. Look, you're on radio, you're on television, you're out there with the message. I want to take this next time to give people an update on A, what's the state of the union? And B, let's talk about action, action, tips, more than tips. This has got to be about action. This is not like, we're not talking about a tip here, folks, okay? You know, a tip is when you when you get your hair done differently. This is about action. Tell us about action. Okay, so if you want to join, the action is to help erase bullying for good. Then the easiest way to do it, and I love that they make it so easy, is that Pilot Pen is donating 10 cents of each specially marked package of friction clicker erasable gelling pens, which my son loves because he can handwrite and he can erase. There's no mess. There's no stress. And look, we have these things on our back-to-school list anyway. So this yeah. is not only a great way to help Dr. Pat, but it's also a great conversation starter with our kids. So make that an event in and of itself because my first tip is to talk to your kids about this. The second tip is to pay attention in the beginning of the school year. You know they're meeting a lot of new kids, and we have to make sure that we turn up our attention volume a little bit to both looking and observing them and seeing how the interactions are in school because this is a big part of it, along with monitoring online activity in the way that you're comfortable. But let your kids know this can happen online, guys. And when you're online, we need to be very safe and comfortable, have a good time, but also be safe about it. And please let me know if something is not looking right to you. You know, and lastly, the big one is be an upstander, not a bystander. Mm. I know this you will love, which is don't teach your kids to sit back. Really be clear with them that they do not, they are to stand up to bullying by having a parent, having a trusted adult help them. So if it's not mom and dad who's on the scene, if it's a trusted teacher or a trusted coach, grab them and tell them immediately what's going on and what you're not comfortable with so that you can navigate that in a positive, strong way. Yeah, Dr. Glenna Rice is one of our hosts. She's been with us for about five years and she is known as the questionable parent. She teaches parents how to work with their children and how to teach other parents the right questions. And the reason I'm bringing this up is one of the don'ts is out of the gate, don't ask your child, what did they do to provoke it? I mean, how many times, Greta, have you heard that? I've heard it a lot. You are so right, Dr. Pat. 
You are so right. And I think, you know, the, the worst, the biggest danger here mm-hmm. is that there's so many ways to help our kids, but you just hit on something so important, which is the last thing we want to do is say anything that's going to shut that conversation down. Right. So don't open with anything that sounds blaming or leading. And look, that's why we as parents need a resource like Stomp Out Bullying. It's incredible for teachers, kids. They give you conversation starters. They give you things that, like you just offered, you know, what not to do. So I didn't have that when I was growing up, nor did my parents or teachers, but we do have it now. So the fact that we're all contributing to this uh, resource is really amazing and absolutely will make the difference in our children and community's lives. Yeah, because Greta, one of the things you and I both know is that parents want to protect their children, but there's, there's protecting the child and protecting how their uh, future bullying events. And you and I both know that taking a child, grabbing the child, going to see the parents of the kids and and just acting all crazy, uh, clearly you're concerned about your child. How are we going to learn as parents and grandparents, by the way, some behavior that's going to help us not just open up, but stop out bullying is some place that people can get some resources to share. People don't even know what to do, Greta. They don't know Absolutely. what to do. You know what, Dr. Pat? You are so right. And everything you said is so true. And listen, we, as you know, you're saying it, you're describing it. We are the ones who have to remain calm. Otherwise, we are teaching our children the wrong thing, whether we are the ch- child, whether we are the parents of the, of the kid bullying or being bullied. Both sides of that situation are just awful. So my suggestion is go to visit helpareasebullying.com. You'll Mm -hmm. get tons of information on the actual campaign. You'll also get a bonus opportunity because this was really exciting to me. Pilot Pen is also sponsoring something called the G2 Overachiever Student Grant, which is really all about highlighting kids doing great things because just what you said, Dr. Pat's not just kids doing bad things. There are so many kids doing great things out there in schools, in communities, and even online, you know, and so this was an opportunity to take these kids and make them role models and examples for other kids and Mm -hmm. to really keep this conversation going and to keep kids rewarded for overachieving in in whatever way they do it. So there's a lot of amazing things there. I can't say enough about the resource. I can't tell you as a parent, it's taught me so much. So I love that we're having such a good conversation about it. Yeah. And I know you've got to run off, but I want to ask you this last thing. I personally think one of the great myths that we have about bullying is that there's a demographic of children that we should be aware of, and that's a younger demographic. So therefore, we completely ignore our children that are going into their teen and even their college years. We just kind of like, okay, you know, as if they know what to do then. How do we educate our parents and our society about that? It just doesn't happen to 10-year-olds. Yes, you're absolutely. Well, what I've learned from Stomp Out Bullying Mm -hmm. and Pilot Pen is that you're exactly right, that we need to start earlier talking about this, defining it, making it a subject that is okay to talk about, and being the parents and raising it and bringing it up from a very early age and and continuing that conversation as the years go on. Because as you said, the consequences of bullying are broad, and we don't want our children to be going out into the world, as you said, even at older ages, high school, college, and feeling the effects of having their confidence, you know, uh, uh, impacted. And that is the biggest thing that really gets our kids off track and 
actually limits their potential. So I love what you said about it. That is absolutely what the findings are. And so go to Stomp Out Bullying, just like I did as a parent, and learn how to deal with this. It's a very complex subject, but they Thank make you. it really easy to understand. Thank you Thank so you. much. Yeah, and I just want to throw this one thing out for everybody listening. So any of you that grew up with sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never harm me, that is a lie. Thank you, Greta. Thank you so much for today. Thank you, Dr. Pat. All right, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.